We've uh, begun a Thursday night service. It's the, it's the same as, as this service. And I was here, I was sitting right there on Thursday night and John started reading the scripture and I heard the bird chirp. I didn't realize he was outside. And my eyes immediately went over there because I thought for sure there was a bird in the sanctuary again. So December, it was December 24th, uh, 2018. Uh, we were a lot of good things in place for Christmas Eve services here, welcoming probably, you know, 1,000, 1,100 people into the building that night. And I just came in to just pray and to um, get ready in this room. And there was a bird flying around the sanctuary, which is not easy to catch or remove from the sanctuary. So I'm more of a fisherman than a fowler, but... Um, so I, you know, of course, opened the back doors and kind of pointing to the bird, you know, and he kept, you know, just all over the place. That same chirp. It actually might be the same bird in the video there. Um, but I was just, it was, it's very frustrating because everything was just in place and ready and, and we're doing good work and ready to preach the gospel. And here's this bird that we couldn't get out. Now, we safely got the bird out. Now, the safety of the bird wasn't my main priority at that moment, but... The end of the story is the bird made it through the, the doors and, and flew away to freedom. So, um, but, you know, we have those things where God is, uh, those times in our lives where God is calling us to something good and we're pursuing it, uh, good work, uh, good um, progress in life. And then there's the frustration and the opposition to that comes right in. I remember, it was, I, I've shared the story a little bit when, when I was uh, younger that I got into trouble at school, I got kicked out of college and it was, uh, you know, God was actually showing me a lot of things during that season and I learned a lot, but it was the journey to get back into school where everything had to fall into place and it just kept getting frustrated and frustrated. I got rejected from this one school and just trying to get in and I remember talking to an admissions counselor about um, kind of how I had been healing in my life and how I'd be a good student at their school. And um, so I, it all did come together, but it was just having to overcome all those obstacles. And so we're going to be considering this notion of uh, really t- taking a look at the life of Nehemiah and his work, uh, trying to rebuild the good work of rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. So they had been living, the, the, the Jews had been living in exile and they were allowed to return and rebuild the walls, but they faced severe opposition from their neighbors. And we're going to spend two weeks looking at this. And so Nehemiah, last week, Nehemiah chapter one, uh, Nehemiah heard that the city was in ruins, that the, the walls had been uh, burned and destroyed. And so he prayed and we looked at his prayer. And in chapter two, he went to the king. So he was a, uh, an associate of the king. He was the cupbearer. And he went to the king of Persia and asked for permission to go back to Jerusalem. And the king said, sure, how long are you going to be gone? And he sent him with permission and he sent him with some soldiers to, for safety to get him to go and to help the people. And Nehemiah went and he looked at the city, he surveyed it, he talked to the people and he said, hey, let's rebuild this wall. And they said, you know what? Let's rebuild this wall. So that's chapter two. Then Nehemiah chapter three, there's, it looks like this, just this long list of people doing all these different things, but it's a beautiful picture of the people of God working together to accomplish a good task together. That brings us to chapter four of Nehemiah, which was just read for us. And now we have the opposition just jumps right in. And again, we're going to spend two weeks on this because it's kind of two waves of opposition to this good work that they were doing, the people were doing in faith to God. Now, as people of faith, we know that as we follow God, we will face opposition in this world. Jesus said in John chapter 15, if the world hates you, keep in mind it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. 
But as it is, you do not belong to the world. But I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. So, so we know, and Jesus said, you know, in this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. The opposition, as people of God, as we, as we walk in faith, we know that there's going to be uh, frustration and opposition to that, to, to that good walk of faith. The reason is that is because we live in God's kingdom in an already but not yet kind of a way. So Jesus came to usher in God's kingdom. And when Jesus came on the scene, he said, the kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is at hand. And he inaugurated that kingdom into the world through his life and his death and his resurrection. So it's begun. But then he has gone and he will return to bring it to its completion. So right now we live in God's kingdom now, which has been started but not fully finished. So we live in all of the blessings of of God's kingdom to know God and to have fellowship in God and to walk in faith. But we, we still see all the frustration and, and sin of the world. We live in the already, but not yet. There's, there's tension there. And we experience that. But here's the good news. The good news is that the, the opposition that we experience can be a good thing if we persevere. If we persevere through it in faith, those, the frustrations and the oppositions that we face in our lives can be a good thing, that God can use them. Now, for Nehemiah, the opposition was the neighbors who lived around, people who, in the absence, you know, when the the city was destroyed uh, and the people had been exiled, others came in and started to have power and authority in that region. And now the Jews are coming back and they're sort of reestablishing their authority and there's tension there. So it started with verbal attacks. And and this uh, leader, Sanballat, he was... He was making fun of them and just putting them down. Ridicule. He said, oh, those feeble Jews, those wimpy Jews. Are you going to rebuild all the walls that have been destroyed? He was probably the one who helped destroy them. Uh, he, they, or his people, at least. And they're, they're just kind of laughing at him. And then he has his bumbling sidekick, uh, Tobiah. You know, every good villain has a bumbling sidekick. You know, like Captain Hook had Mr. Smee and... Um, Gaston has LeFou. You know, there's the bumbling sidekick. So he comes in, Tobiah. He said, yeah, even if a fox climbed on that wall, it would fall down. Ha, ha, ha. And then nobody else is laughing. You know, he's just, uh, he's just one of those guys. But you just see, they're just, it's just this ridicule. You're trying to do a good thing, and somebody's just putting you down, putting you down. But they kept working. And they got the walls halfway built. And when the walls are halfway built, now the, it's not just making fun of them. There's threats. Threats of violence and death threats to these people if they're going to continue the work. So the lesson for us here is that those, the, the opposition, it was ridicule, it was genuine threats. If you persevere, God can use that for our good. Romans chapter 5 says this, Not only so, but we rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love in our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. So we know that as we, perse- as we face that opposition, God can use it to build out perseverance. It's going to ultimately lead to true hope in God through the midst of it. And we, wanna, we want that for us as well. So let's, let's pray as we look at this. So Father God, um, we trust you. We love you. We pray that 
as we seek to live lives that are in step with your way, with your leading, with your will. We pray that, or we know, Lord, in that life that we may face these oppositions, but we pray that we would be people of perseverance, that we would be people who have faith through these things, and that you would show us how to have that. And may you be glorified in that, because you use even these things for your glory. So be glorified today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, word of warning today, actually kind of more of a word of apology. Um, The word of warning today is that this is not an easy topic, and there are, we experience frustrations in life, but some people experience violence and atrocities, and we see it in our world, and some of that is, is nearly impossible to make sense of in God's will. And what I mean by that is this. We believe that God is all good and all powerful. And yet evil exists in our world, including some of these terrible atrocities that we see in the world. So we say, well, if God is, is um, all powerful and he could stop these atrocities, but he doesn't, maybe he's not all good the way we think he is. Or maybe he is all good, but he can't stop these atrocities. Maybe he's not all powerful like we think he is. And this concept of, of understanding the, the tension of that is called, the, theo- the theological word is theodicy. It's just the, the reality of God's goodness and his power in the existence of evil. And today, I'm not going to give you a full way to understand that. First of all, some of it I can't explain. It is, it is a mystery of God. But perhaps today we'll get a small slice of understanding of some of it, particularly as it relates to our lives. So I'm not going to give a full explanation. I'm not even sure I could if I even sought to to do that. But here's what I will say. God never leaves us alone in this broken world. Even with all of the evil and atrocities in the world, God himself takes on the human condition, Jesus, He comes to this world and he becomes the victim of evil in our world. He becomes an innocent sufferer, even put to death. And because of that, we know that God is not just distant from a broken world, but he comes to rescue it. And we have enough evidence, particularly the the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that God is going to complete his good work of saving this broken world. Now, why his timing and why certain things still happen, I can't explain, but I trust fully that the God who came and and entered into it will complete his good work. So I have faith. I'm trusting in that. And I'm also trusting that the things that I experience, the opposition and the frustration, God can use for his good. Nehemiah experienced it, and he did three things that I want to look at. One is he prayed, and then he pivoted, and then they persevered. First of all, prayer. Verse 4. Immediately when they start ridiculing the Jews who are trying to rebuild these broken walls, uh, he prays. Verse 4. Hear us, our, um, our God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. Now, it sounds like kind of a vengeful prayer, but I would make the point that this prayer actually keeps them from vengeance. When people ridicule us or where people oppose us, we have enemies in our lives, our gut reaction as sinful human beings is to fight back. Is to, if somebody's going to be mean to me, I'm going to be mean back. You're going to be harsh with me, I'm going to be harsh back. That is not how God treats us. 
And therefore, as people of faith, that is not how we are going to treat our enemies. God does not treat us as our sins deserve. He extends his grace to us. So here, the prayer is, God, this is, these people have come against us, but it's in your hands. Vengeance is yours, Lord, as Romans 12 points out. But unfortunately, in, in my own life, and I've seen other people of faith, you know, um, belittle people who disagree with them, who become uh, mean or snarky, you know, even on, uh, you know, online, and you see it in different places where uh, we, you know, make fun of or belittle people who disagree with us. And we want to be people who just say, Lord, we know that there's voices out, out there that want to oppose us and our faith and my life, and Lord, it's in your hands. And they prayed, and they were able to go uh, right back to work, rather than dwelling on their enemy. I think we just need to choose to say, look, I know these things are going to come at me. I'm going to choose not to get dragged down to that level, and I'm going to just continue to pursue the good things that God has called me to. So in, in verse 6, it says, We rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height, for the people worked with all their heart. The prayer had just, you know, given them the focus back on God away from the enemy and they had the energy to get back to this good work. For us, our prayer to God helps us to just put those things aside and focus on him, focus on the one who has called us to the good work, refocus our energy, and it reminds us that it's God's strength that's going to propel us, not our own strength. But if you let discouragement, if you... If you don't turn back to God, and you just let that discouragement weigh on you, then it, it will stop the work. Read some research this week from the Barna Group. They do a lot of polling and research on uh, faith and um, religion in America, and the, their most recent research was a little disturbing. They said when the coronavirus shutdowns hit back in March, that when, when churches were closing their doors and moving to online worship, that one-third of all practicing Christians, this is people who regularly attend church, one-third of all practicing Christians in this country disconnected from their faith communities. I mean, they didn't go online to, to continue to stay connected in worship with their communities. One-third just got frustrated and just, just dropped right out. And I don't think that we, Free Christian Church, will experience that as we um, are staying connected online and, and in person here. Uh, and I'll explain why I believe that later. But the point is that we can easily just become discouraged and just disengage and drop out. But here, they prayed, we pray, and we stay engaged to the things God has called us to. Secondly, first they prayed, secondly, they the pivot. Essentially, they, they armed themselves. Verse 16, From that day on, half my men did the work, while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows, and armor. Verse 17, Those who carried materials did their work uh, with one hand, carrying materials, and a weapon in the other. And each of the builders uh, wore his sword at his side as he worked, but the man who sounded the trumpet stayed with me. This is, this is one of my favorite images in the scripture where you, you know, they're trying to rebuild walls. So you have a trowel in one hand and you get your sword in the other hand and you're just trying to do the work and keep yourself safe. And maybe you sharpen the trowel a little bit in case you need that as your, you know, your second, your side piece. Or, so it's, 
it's just a, a beautiful image of, okay, we're, we're here to build the wall, but we have to, you know, half of the people need to be focused on protecting, and the other half can continue to this building work. And we're all going to be very vigilant in that. They had to change their plans. It uh, reminds me of a story of the great preacher and evangelist D.L. Moody, Dwight Moody, and he was traveling across the Atlantic on a ship, and the ship caught on fire. And he and his companion found themselves in this bucket brigade, you know, passing buckets of water over to the fire. And he was just this giant of faith. And so his companion said, uh, Dr. Dr. Moody, let's, let's go over to the other side of the ship and pray, because he's such a man of prayer. And he said, oh, no, no, we're going to stay here and pass buckets, and we will pray the entire time we're passing buckets. Because uh, the plan had changed. It wasn't just prayer, but it was, yes, it was prayer and taking that faith-fueled action. Um, that's, that's, and we have to do that because things change. I, I was talking to a friend this week. I just randomly ran into her as I was walking home from the office and haven't seen her in months. And, and uh, we uh, had a little conversation right there on the street. And she said, look, when, when my company, the company she works for, the, the business she works for shut down, she was out of work for two and a half months. And she didn't know what that was going to be like. She was nervous. She said, look, I'm single. I live alone. And I thought I'd just be so isolated and, and so lost without my work and without my friends with this isolation. So she decided that she was just going to reground herself with God. And she just devoted herself to scripture and she devoted herself to prayer. And she just used that time. She said it was the most wonderful season. And the business opened back up and she went back to work and she's slowly back to more normal type rhythms. But it was the pivot of, okay, how am I going to use this new season? I didn't ask to be out of work, but I am. So how am I going to use this now, this frustration? How am I going to use it to grow in my faith? And I was so encouraged uh, by her and and, and many others who said, okay, this is a new season. How am I going to refocus and how am I going to grow? Part of their pivot was uh, we see in verse 14 here is kind of key. Uh, Nehemiah tells the people, he says, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who's great and awesome and fight for your families, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. I mean, they had a real existential threat. They had people, these small armies, kind of like a little militia groups that were seeking to frustrate their work and threatening them. And they were armed and they had horses and they, they were, this is a real threat. I mean, today our threat isn't, necessarily violence or or war but we still need to stand for our families for our sons and our daughters there's so many ideas in our world worldviews that are contrary to god's way sometimes the, the you know the attacks aren't necessarily physical for us but the attacks are there and the attacks are against us but it's against our children and our young people adolescents and young adults a battle for their minds and and here we remember yeah don't give up Keep speaking God's truth. Keep stand firm for God's truth for young people. Even, even adult children who have wandered from their faith to continue to, to, to build into their lives. And just, this is a, a real battle. That's why we are just so excited. Kathy Harwood, our new youth pastor, started this week and is just off to a great start. And we are so excited because we know how important it is to build into the lives of the next generation of followers of Jesus Christ. 
But it's not her job alone. It's all of our jobs to come alongside uh, to be building into the lives of young people in your families and in, in this church. And then again, verse 21, our God will fight for us. The battle is always the Lord, but we, take, we make those changes and those shifts and we take those actions, those pivots. So they pray, we have uh, their pivot, and lastly, persevere. They, they, they persevered through this time. Verse 21 says, So we continued the work with half the men holding spears from the first light of dawn till the stars came out. And at that time, I said to the people also, Have every man and his helper stay inside Jerusalem at night so they can serve as guards by night and workers by day. And they were just constantly vigilant. It was, oh, verse 23, Neither I nor my brothers uh, nor my men nor the guards with me took off our clothes for two months. It's gross. Um, each had his own weapon, even when he went for water. They just say, well, look, we're not going to put on our pajamas. We're going to stay dressed and vigilant and ready for whatever's ahead because we have to stay focused. It is, uh, you know, the second half of a project, for me at least, is always harder than the first half. I love to start projects. Just ask my wife. I am very good at starting a project. The second half of the project's harder. One time I, I, the one time I rebuilt a motorcycle, or I sought to rebuild a motorcycle, I had a great time taking that thing apart, and I sold it. Because I saw that putting it back together was going to be a huge... It was just more than I was willing to, to do. Um, you know, it's about being alert and awake through whatever it is God has called you to, to persevere through that, to finish the work. You know... We, as a, I mentioned earlier that research where when churches were just shifting to online worship, all those people just dropped, dropped away from worshiping in any form. One third of, of practicing Christians. And for us, we've, we've been a church for years now that we've, we've said, look, there isn't, we need to be always vigilant because we're, God has put us everywhere that we are. That our faith isn't just about how we gather on Sundays online or in person. That's part of it. It's a very important part of it. And we need to be gathering. But our faith is lived out in our everyday lives, on the front lines of our lives, that we don't believe that there is a sacred secular divide. We've been doing everything we can to erase the divide between the sacred and the secular, meaning the sacred secular divide says, you know, God really cares about some things, and then there's other things that God doesn't really care about. And we say, no, God cares about all of it. When we gather and when we scatter, as we live out our faith, whether we're isolated or connected to other people, we are um, called by God to live in his presence. And that is, that's the perseverance. That, that will help foster that perseverance. So we pray, we pivot, and we persevere. So followers of Jesus, if you are a follower of Jesus, you are following the one who persevered to the very end. He is the one who said, on the cross, it is finished. He went all the way to the cross to finish the work that the Father had sent him to accomplish, the good work of salvation of this world that inaugurates his kingdom. And that's the kingdom we live in. And that's the king we follow. And that is where our hope is. And there's just a beautiful blessing in this if we can seek him to persevere in this way. James chapter 1 puts it like this. James 1.12 Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial. Because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. There's amazing joy in persevering in the midst of 
opposition. Let us pray. Father, uh, give us the strength to persevere. On our own, we are weak, but you are strong. And I pray whatever those frustrations are as we consider them uh, over these, over t- today and then over next week, that you would just show us how to, to act, how to turn, how to uh, deal with it, that we might be people who trust you and persevere. We thank you that you're a God who finishes the good work that you start in this world and in us, Lord. So we give you all the glory and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.